I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. We have a special episode for you this week. I want you to meet someone Talia Schlanger. Hi, Talia. Hey, Alec. It's great to be here. So, Talia, you're a performer and musician. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, right now I'm recording an album of my own original music that I write and sing and play on guitar. But I started my career professionally in theater when I was 14, doing a bunch of musicals toward the States with the the Green Day show American Idiot, and went to school for broadcasting, writing for radio and TV. You're also a radio host and producer. You've interviewed a lot of people, correct? Yeah, I used to host the NPR syndicated show World Cafe. We interviewed a different musician every day. You're Canadian, and you frequently guest host on the CBC. In fact, that's where I heard you one night on my radio. Your voice just jumped out at me, and I thought, I've got to have her on my show, and here you are. I can't believe it, but here I am, yes. (laughs) So, Talia, as we start our second year of shows at iHeart, you'll be sitting in the host chair for Here's the Thing. In fact, you have an interview ready. Yeah, I had the chance to interview the amazing singer Mary Clayton. Alec, do you remember the first time you would have heard her voice? Yes, it was her performance as the Acid Queen in the London Symphony Orchestra recording of The Who's Tommy. Well, Talia, best of luck to you. Thank you so much, Alec. Mary Clayton has the kind of voice that will stop you right in your tracks. Even if her name still isn't ringing a bell, you've definitely heard her sing on some pretty huge songs. She sang on Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Carole King had her on Tapestry. She has sung backups with Ray Charles, Neil Young, Joe Cocker, maybe most notably the Rolling Stones, with her unmistakable and emotional belting on Gimme Shelter. In 2013, Mary Clayton told her story in the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom. The film celebrates the often overlooked contributions of backup singers in popular music. 20 Feet from Stardom won the Academy Award for Best Documentary and shined a much-deserved spotlight on Clayton's immense talent. But shortly after the film's triumph at the Oscars, 
Clayton's life took a dramatic turn when she was in a near-fatal car accident. This past April, seven years after her accident and 50 years after her first solo album, Mary Clayton released Beautiful Scars. The album showcases her gospel roots and her unbreakable spirit, which can only be described as triumphant. I get the feeling of overcoming something very, very hard that you came through, you know. I I didn't stay in it. I came through it. That's the feeling that I get of beautiful scars. A a, a scar is something that, um, it always gets a scab. I got a scab on my scar. And then I healed it, you know, with God's help, of course, because I'm a woman of faith. I'm not religious. I'm a very spiritual woman. I am a woman of faith, and I did come through it with God's help. Yeah. And with scars, you know, you you can get rid of scars. It takes a minute. It took me almost five years, five years and five months. But I made it through with fine colors, and I came out shining like gold. <laughs> and sounding like a dream, I'll tell you what. Thank you. So you brought it up five years ago. Do you mind saying what what you went through at that time that left you with this beautiful scar? So I had a, a, a bit of an accident right after I had won every accolade in that one can win in a career. Of course, I'm sure you know about uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, winning the Academy Award for the Best Documentary. Yeah. And we had won everything. You know, we won Sundance. We won Golden Globe. We were just on a high, really happy, and we traveled the world promoting that film. And so I had to go to sign some papers, do some paperwork. And on the way back, I get back on out here as a freeway, and someone was, can you pull over? Something is going on. They kept pointing to my car. So... You know, when someone is pointing pointing to your car, you're saying, oh, my God, maybe gas is leaking. Whatever's going on, I better pull over to see. So I pulled over to the side. After I got through talking to the people trying to figure out what was going on, I was getting back onto the freeway to go on my way. And a young man was getting on the freeway, driving really fast, and T-boat me. And it broke both of my legs. So my first thought was, thank God I had the window down because I was speaking to the people on the other side. And when I looked down, I looked down, and my legs had just went to one side. And I said in myself, I said, oh, my God. I said, I think, and I'm screaming out the window, I think my leg is broken, call the paramedics. Paramedics was right across the street. Thank God. Thank God, yeah. So the paramedics came, and uh, the paramedic, he gets in the car on on the passenger side, and he says to me, Oh, Miss Clayton, I just saw your movie, 20 Feet from Stardom. I said, and I'm just in an accident. What do you mean you just saw my movie? He says, but don't worry. We're going to take care of you. Anybody you want us to call, because I'm going to give you something that's going to knock you out. Wow. And uh, who do you want us to call? And of course, the numbers that rolled off of my tongue was my Uncle Lou, who was affectionately known as Uncle Lou, Lou Adler, right? <laughs> Legendary record producer. Yeah. Who worked with you your whole career. Yeah, I called him my Uncle Lou. So they called Uncle Lou, I'm told. And um, they they got me out. Uh, apparently they did. And they took me right to UCLA, which is the hospital here, you know. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I was in intensive care about five or six days. I'm told by my family and dear, dear friends. 
And when I came up out of that intensive care, it was like, oh my God, <laughs> I had the doctors, you know, when they come to see you in your room, they come and not one or two, it's about five or six of them, they come marching in after I came to myself. And the doctors say, Miss Clayton, we've got some news for you. And I said, well, what is it? He says, well, we had to make some harsh decisions in order to save your life. And I'm looking at him, so well, what is it? He said, we had to amputate both legs from the knee down. And of course, I just, my heart, you know, just like, I had to take a breath because I, I knew that something had happened. I didn't know exactly what. So my first question was, did anything happen to my voice? You believe that was really your first question. That was really the first thing that you're thinking about after getting that news. After that news, it's the weirdest thing. My sister said, "You asked the doctors, did anything happen to your voice?" And the doctor said, "I remember them." So, oh no, Miss Clayton, we knew you were a singer. We made sure that nothing happened to your voice box. Wow, you know. So after they told me um, that nothing happened to my voice, so I looked at the doctor and said, "Well, nothing happened to my voice. I'll be okay." I'll be all right. And my sister told me, she says, you laid back in your bed and looked up and start singing the song that Ashford and Simpson wrote for me for a film that I did called I Can Still Shine. And I was just singing. She said, we could hear you way down the hall singing loud. You know, I can, sh I can still shine. You know, I'm just singing. So my sister told the doctors, she said, okay, come on, doctor, you can go down. She's singing. She'll be fine. Oh, my God. She, just like an usher in church, she ushered them right out of the room. And <laughs> she said they walked out just shaking their heads, saying, what kind of woman? You, she wanted to know about her voice as she started singing. So the doctors were shaking their head, and they left, you know. And by then, Lou and some other people had gotten there, you know. And, uh, and then they said, I just sung myself to sleep. I don't know how that song goes. How does it, how, what song is it? Um, I've loved good and I've loved hard. Better days I've never seen. I made some wrong and some right moves. You know what I mean. Just like you, I've been waiting for the right one to come through. Life is hard sometimes. And though I've been hurt sometimes, I can still shine, I can still shine. Oh, oh my God. So I wanted, oh to God. Know, I, I wanted to know if my voice was working. So my sister said, when I found out my voice was working, I, she said, I just sung and just went on to sleep. I sung myself to sleep. Can you believe? Oh my God. Thank you so much for singing just now. Like... Thinking about that moment, you're comforting yourself to sleep singing yeah, that way. It's absolutely, stunning. absolutely, ah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Oh my God. You're welcome. <laughs> so that was my way of really, as you said, comforting myself because that was a lot to take in. But then again, as I said, I am a woman of faith and I knew that God was in control. And he had me in the palm of his hands. And that his word says that I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
even until the ends of the earth. And I truly believe that. I believe that all my life. So I knew that he was with me hmm. during this period. I knew that he was with me. So I just, as they say, I just rested. I rested in him. I just knew he would take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And I knew that he would handle whatever he needed to handle regarding my well-being. So you, I mean, you have this, this faith in God being able to handle everything that you need Absolutely. for your well-being, as you've just said, but you also had to put in a massive amount of work in terms of rehabilitation, I think, to be yeah. able to yeah. get yourself moving again. And I'm really curious to know, as a, like singing is such a physical act. You use your whole body. When I listen to you sing, I can hear you using your whole body. Did the physical change for you change the way that, that you approach singing at all? You know, to be honest, No. Mm-hmm. Not at all. We were talking about that doing uh, the recording of Beautiful Scars. And uh, Lou and Terry would tell me, you know, matter of fact, we did an interview a couple of weeks ago. And Lou was saying to the interviewee, he said, Mary was out in the studio singing. And Terry and I just looked at each other and said, she has not missed a beat. She sound the same that she sound when I first met her. He says, unbelievable. So... You know, sometimes when you lose things in life or you have a tragedy in your life, you're given other stuff to make up for that. Hmm. So I was given the wind, the air, the everything that I need to sing without faulting for some reason. That was a, that was a gift from above that was given to me during that period. So no, I didn't have a hard time singing. I really, really didn't. And I had such a good time. Such a great, wonderful, loving, peaceful, happy time working with my Uncle Lou and Terry. It's one of the greatest writers that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. When it comes to the music, you got to be spot on, you know. And if you're wise, you'll listen to what he has to say when he's telling you to do certain things. So I became very wise on this project, and I listened to every technique and everything he told me. I would listen, I would apply it, and it worked out great for us. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, the record is spectacular, but it's really something like there's so many moving moments on it. But it's something to hear you say that, you know, you're taking feedback about technique and stuff. I mean, you put mm-hmm. out your first solar record more than 50 years ago and you sounded perfect then. Like, it's wow. just so what a humble way for you to feel, I guess, that mm. you still have something to, to learn from somebody else. I'm interested oh, absolutely. by that. Absolutely. Oh, my God. If you're not learning, darling, you're not growing. I can still learn a whole lot. You know, especially in this craft called music and in this music industry, you're you're always learning. And if you're wise, as I said before, you'll listen. I've always been a listener. That's how I learned, by listening and watching. You know, I I always hung out with people that were were older than me. You know, I never hung out with the kids. I, I was never one to do that. I would hang out Mm -hmm. with the little older people, you know, the the wise sisters, you know, in the church or, you know, because that was our life was the church. I'd sit and I'd listen all the time and I'd watch them. I'd listen to different choir members and the directors of the choir. And I would take what they did and I would apply it to when I was singing with Ray Charles or when I was singing with the Stones, when I was singing with Joe Cocker, when I was singing with my godmother, Della Reese, when I was singing with Mahalia Jackson, not singing with, but when I knew Mahalia Jackson, everything that, everything that she did, because she would sit, I would always sit with her in my dad's church when she'd come to visit. I would find her, you know, 
Haley, uh, uh, there she is, there's Haley. And I'd run to wherever she was and would nestle in between she and another great singer. Her name was Linda Hopkins. They would always come oh, wow. visit, visit my dad's oh. church, right? Yeah. So all these ladies, I would just be really quiet. I would mimic everything they would do, I would do. You know, but that's a, a process of learning. That's right. So you just painted us sort of a picture of of your dad's church that you grew up in, and, and yeah. sitting with these these gospel greats and yes. learning to sing from them. Yes. Does that then translate to everything else that you do? Like I'm thinking of, I know Sam Cook also was at your church when you were growing mm-hmm. up, and he was with the Soul Stirs, this mm-hmm. incredible gospel group mm-hmm. before he did secular music. Mm-hmm. But there's a carryover, like whether he's singing gospel or whether he's singing secular music, you feel you have the feeling that it's coming from the same place. Is that true for you as well? I mean, it doesn't matter. No matter, and that's really a no matter. I mean, it Mm. doesn't matter what I'm singing. There's going to be a gospel feel in there. Right. And um, when I was singing, really doing a lot of uh, background singing, that's what the groups from Europe want. That's what they wanted. That's what the Stones wanted. That's what Joe Cocker wanted. That's what Barbara Streisand wanted when she would hire us. You know, she said, sing the way you would sing in your church. Don't. Don't hide it. The feel that I want is that feel that you guys have. And it all came back to where we came from. And we came Mm -hmm. out of the church. So yes, everything I sing, even when I did, um, I was the original Acid Queen in Tommy (gasps) with the London Symphony Orchestra. Which is the musical for people who are not familiar. It's The Who, uh, the band, their musical, Tommy. That's an incredible role. Oh, jeez. I I was the original Tina did the film, but I was the original Acid Queen on the record Yes, for the double album with, because uh, Lou was one of the producers, Lou Adler and Lou Reisner were, were the producers of that album. So naturally, Lou was going to have me to sing that character, you know. Mm-hmm. So even when I did Tommy, you could hear gospel in there. If you're Charlie, all he could be now, this girl can put him right. You know what I mean? You could hear that gospel in there. You know, whatever I sing, it's going. There's going to be some gospel feel in there, no matter what I sing. You know, so that, that's just who I am, and that's just what I do. Vocalist Mary Clayton. If you like interviews with groundbreaking musicians, make sure you check out Alex's conversation with David Crosby. We always produced our records, and we had what we call the reality rule. You come into the room, just us, nobody else, and uh, sing each other a song. And they either liked it or they didn't. And uh, if they liked it, you know, then we'd start figuring out how to sing it. And these are hugely talented guys, man. They, they came with a lot of stuff. Neil's nickname is Sometimes. It's CSN, Sometimes Y. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, and when it would be CSNY, it was a lot bigger. The reason that CSNY is always Neil's decision because if there's 20,000 people in the stadium, Neil put 10 of them there. Hear the rest of Alec and David Crosby's conversation at heresthething.org. After the break, Mary Clayton shares the story of how she got her start in the music business, which meant juggling after-school recording sessions with homework and naps. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. 
Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Mary Clayton's powerhouse vocals stand out in a crowd. That's been clear since her very first professional recording gig with a legendary crooner. I was almost 15, and we were doing this record with a gentleman named Bobby Darren. And Bobby Darren wanted background singers, but he wanted the gospel sound. He was very, very soulful man, and he loved African-American singers. He loved Mm -hmm. it. So I was called for this record date at Capitol Records. It was myself and a group of other girls, and we did this background session. And for some reason, he kept saying to the singers, there's someone who is a little bit loud. So they would say, okay, Bobby, we'll, we'll ask her to stand back. So the girls would say, Mary stand back a little bit. And I'd stand back a little bit. And um, he said, okay, starting all over again. We start singing again. 
And he said, you know, that voice is still, it's good, but it's just still a little loud. So they'd ask me to step back. Mary, you got to step back a little bit more. So I'd step back, step back some more. Well, mind you, by the end of the session, I was almost out the room, right? right. Until, <laughs> like down until, the street. <laughs> yeah, almost. Our studio A, until I was able to adjust that. Because I'd never sing in a... Um, recording session before. So I didn't know how to really, really blend. I'd sung in choirs, you yeah. know, but I never, I didn't know how to, re- and they taught me how to blend, but I don't know, I guess hearing yourself back in the headphones, I learned very quickly though. So he said, excuse me, what is your name? I said, Mary. He said, can you come in? So I went behind the booth, you know, and I went in the, uh, in the control room. He said, can you sing your part? So I sung my part to him. He said, that's that voice I keep hearing. I said, yes. He said, how old are you? I said, I'm going to be 15 Christmas. What? You're singing like that at 15? He said, I think I need to talk to your parents. (laughs) I said, well, wait a minute. Did I do something wrong? Oh, no, you didn't do anything wrong. You're doing something very right. But you're very, you're a little bit loud. He said, but I'd like for you to come in tomorrow with your parents. I'd like to take a meeting with your parents. So we took a meeting with Mr. Darren about a week or two later, and he wanted to sign me. So he signed me to Capitol at 15 on his label, which was T&M Music at Capitol Records. So that was my first experience in a recording studio. And we did several singles, you know, a lot of things, because I was still in, God, I was in high school. You know, I was still in high school, trying to get through high school to graduate, to go to college. So... That was my first experience in a recording studio. So you're a teenager and your mm-hmm. parents are called in and he's like, I want to sign your daughter. What did they think of that? Were they like, you have to do your homework first? Or they were like, go for it. So he wanted me to do another session. And the session required me to be at the studio at about four o'clock in the evening. So Mr. D, we called him Mr. D. Mr. D said, okay, we'll have a car and a driver to pick her up from school. My mother said, okay, you can have a car and a driver to pick her up from school. She said, but these are the requirements. She has to do her homework. She has to take a nap (laughs) because she would have been up early, early in the morning for school. And then she can come down. We will be there by then and sing with Shorty Rogers and his big band. In, in your studio. But these are the requirements. My father said, now, if you can meet those requirements, sure, she can do the session. But oh, yes, they had to pick me up. Mr. Darren had to correct my homework. <laughs> I mean, it was something. I had English or something, you know, math or whatever. But he came up and checked out. He had a lady to come, a teacher, to come and check my homework, made sure that the lights were out. I took a two-hour nap. And I got oh up because he had everything in his big office there. And they came and they woke me up to prepare me to go downstairs to sing with Shorty Rogers' big band. I'm talking about a big band. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a, a, a little small six-piece band. I'm talking about an 18-piece orchestra. Wow. And he was doing a, a record called You're the Reason I'm Living. Mm. Okay? And I, I did a duet with him on this album called You're the Reason I'm Living. And the duet was called Who Can I Count On If I Can't Count On You? And he was floored. He said, all of that voice is coming out your, your little bitty body? I said, yeah, I guess so. He says, well, it sounds incredible. So Shorty would come over and he said, I told you she could sing. 
Jesus said, Bobby, I told you this young lady could sing. And he was just like shaking his head. Mr. Darren, he said, I cannot believe you're singing like this to be the age that you are. And my mother just looked at him. She was, she was in the booth with me. And so she just looked up at him. So, you know, she was trained in her father's church now. Uh, and and we, we sing in the church. We don't play. You know, yeah. you, you either sing or you're going to play an instrument. You know, you're going to be one for the other. Because, see, I'm from New Orleans. And in New Orleans, you sing, or you play an instrument, you go to college. You know, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. the way that was. That's unbelievable. I mean, you've got this person. He's a huge star. He believes in yeah. you so much. Yeah. You come in, you crush it. He's mm-hmm. going to these great lengths to make sure that you can be on these sessions for him. Mm-hmm. What did you dream for yourself at that point? Because, I mean, I'm thinking, you're a kid, you must have thought, I can, I've got something. What did you dream for yourself at that point? I didn't think any of that stuff. I just thought, you know, this is really, really nice. I wonder, can I do this when I get out of school? You know, and I've spoken to some of the other girls and older ladies that was were doing background session. I said, you guys do this all the time? They said, oh, yeah, we do maybe two sessions, maybe three or four sessions a week. I said, well, how much do you make? And they told me, at that time, they were paying background singers $24.50 an hour. And if you doubled that particular song, which is put another track over that, you get another $24.50. That was incredible money for yeah. a 15, 16-year-old. In the 60s. Yeah, in the 60s. Yes, yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I said, mm, that's, that's pretty nice. So, of course, when I, when I got out of the school, you know, I, I, and they just started calls. I started getting these calls, you know. And Jack would call Mary. There's a great session going on. It would be good. Miss, Miss Clayton, it would be a good, t- good thing for Mary to go to this session. She'll get paid. We'll make sure she get paid. Union scaled. And after some, a few years of that, I, I said, mm. my mother said, well, you know, would you like to do this as, a, as maybe a career? Because, you know, you could do this as a career if you want to. It's, it's how you feel about it. I said, Mom, I love to sing. She said, well, this is good training for you, for whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. But by then, I had gotten this great call from my great friend, Billy Preston, my childhood friend, one of the greatest keyboard and organist and, and songwriters in the world, Billy Preston. Yes. So Billy called one day and he says, what are you doing? I said, why are you whispering? He says, listen, whatever you're doing, I need you to drop it because I want you to come up and sing for Ray. I said, Ray who? He said, Ray Charles. (laughs) I said, what? I said, the Ray Charles. He says, only one Ray Charles. He said, get dressed, put on something cute, smell good, and and be real cute. And you come up to Ray's office. They're going on tour, and they're auditioning singers. And I told Ray that, that you were just fantastic and that you would just be great for his group. Well, wow. I, went up, I went up to sing for Mr. Charles, and I left with a contract, you know, for my parents to check out to see if this would be something that I'd want to do. So Billy and I made up this big story. He said, you tell your mother that my mother's going to let me go. Oh, my gosh. And then, we, <laughs> and then you're going to... And we, we had this big thing, you know, we were doing this big uh, covert operation, you know, to get on this tour. My mother would say, do you guys really think we're crazy? Do you, do you know who we are? We are your mother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a chaperone if you go out there on this tour. So he, she told Mr. Charles, my dad said, well, you know what? I have a good girl here. And I want her to come back here just the way she left. And if she doesn't, you're going to have a problem. My, mo- my mother told Mr. Charles, you're going to have a problem with her father. And that's not one you want to have a problem with. 
So Ray, you know, he came and he spoke to my mom, said, don't worry about her. Everything's going to be just fine. And we'll have chaperones. She and Billy, they're going to be the youngest one on the tour. We're going to take good care of them. Don't, don't, don't worry about it, Miss Clayton. And I said, okay, I'm, t- I'm just letting you know in front so you'll know behind. Now, you don't have no problem with me now. This is my baby, wow. you know. So uh, Billy and I, you know, we got it together and we got our wardrobe. My parents got our wardrobe and everything together. And we went out on this tour with Ray Charles and had the time of our lives with a big, this big orchestra. He had this huge orchestra and he had three other singers, you know. So he rehearsed us profusely because he was a perfectionist and he wanted it to be the way he wanted it to be. You know, to sing with Ray Charles, that was something to say. In uh, the mid-60s, what do you do? Well, I sing with you. What? You sing with Ray Charles? Well, yeah, I sing with Ray Charles. Well, oh, my goodness. Sure, we'll let you have this, so we'll let you have that. Whatever you want, you know. Unbelievable. And just like that, you're a Raylette. Yeah. And there you go. I was a Raylette. And I didn't let Ray. Oh, (laughs) that was a big thing that people said. They said that in order to be a Raylette, you had to let Ray also, not me. Yikes. I married his conductor and was married to his conductor for 32 years until he closed his eyes and left this earth. Yeah. Unbelievable saxophone player. Yeah. Yeah. The great Curtis Amy. That's right. Singer Mary Clayton. Follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we return... Mary Clayton talks about the benefits and the challenges of being a Black female artist in the 1970s. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talia Schlanger, in for Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. By the time she was 21, Mary Clayton was a seasoned pro, having already performed with some of the biggest names in music. But it was a surprise phone call late one night from a famous producer that launched her career into the stratosphere. Jack Nietzsche. (laughs) This is a producer. Jack Nietzsche calls and he says, listen, there's a bunch of guys in town. They're the rolling... And before he can get out stones, I'm saying, and my husband takes the phone. He says, man, why are you calling Mary so late? You know, she's pregnant. He said, man, we're getting ready to go to bed. He said, man, you got to let her work on this date. This date is going to be wonderful. We're going to send a car and don't worry about her. I'm coming in the limo and I'll take care of her. You know, take her there and then I'll bring her back. He said, man, it is really, really late. She's put lotion on her hands. When she starts putting lotion on her hands, it's bedtime. So, so, so I had these beautiful silk, pink silk pajamas. So my husband says, baby, aren't you going to change your clothes? I said, no. So I said, do I have to go, Curtis? He said, yeah, baby, just go. It won't take you long. He said, this could be really, really important. He said, you know, these boys are from England. This may be something that, be, that would be really, really good for you, you know, mm-hmm. later on in mm-hmm. your career, you know. So he's talking to me as he's nudging me to the front door. And we open the door. And the, the limo is sitting way down the driveway, like waiting for me, you know. So I get in the car. I said, okay, I'm going. I said, but I'm not going to be gone long. So I take this Chanel scarf. I had rollers in my hair. And I put this <laughs> Chanel scarf. I said, I'm not taking any rollers out of my hair. And I put this Chanel scarf over my hair and I tie it beautifully. I put a little bit of makeup on a lipstick. Off I went. Get to the studio. And I, the guy, I see somebody coming through the back door. And who was it but Keith and Mick? So they come up to me and they say, are you married? I said, yes, I am. I said, and who are you? <laughs> he said, well, I'm, I'm bloody Keith and this is Mick right here. You know how they talk. I said, well, hi, how are you? He said, oh, we're fine. We're glad you're here, Mary. I said, okay. I said, well, what do you want me to sing? I said, because I, I can't stay long. Wow. <laughs> so Mick said, I'm going to go and get it. I said, so you want to come in the booth? I said, I'll come in and, and listen to the track. So I listened to the track. I said, hmm, this is pretty cool. He said, we just want you to sing this part right here. And you're going to do a, 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 an answer to what, you know, just a slow verse right here to sing. And then on the second time, we'll, we'll let you know after you get through with this what you're going to do next. So after I did War Children, it's just a shot away, it's just a shot alone, along with, uh, with Mick, I did that part. And I said, wow, this is really something. 
I did that part with him. And then here comes Keith out the booth. He said, well, darling, this is the second one you have to do. And, and I said, what? He, and I read the lyric and it said, rape, murder is just a shot away. And it was rape, murder again, it's just a shot away. So I looked at them. I said, honey, I'm here by myself. I'm not getting ready to say anything about a rape and a murder. You're also, sorry, you're 21 years old and you're pregnant also. Like, let's be honest. Like, that's, come on. And it was high. It was high. The the key was high. Yeah. So I I did that part. And then he told me the gist of the song. He told me what it meant. I said, oh, okay. So then we sung that part. And they, I told them, I said, you guys go in and just let me do my part. I urged them right on out. I said, you guys go, you don't have to be out here with me. I'm been doing this for a while, and I know what I'm doing. So they yeah. left, and they went to the booth. So I started to sing, and at that period, it was a civil rights movement going on. Mm-hmm. Dr. King had just been assassinated. Yeah, It was the war in Vietnam. And I really had to call on all of my ancestors to help me. Yeah. After I found out what we were really singing about, I called on my grandmother, my great-grandmother. I called everybody that ever loved me that were not here anymore. I called on them to come and help me because I needed help in this particular song, in this night. Yeah. So I called on them, and they came and they helped me. You know, I know people believe in that, and some people don't. I believe in and people coming to help people that anybody who has ever loved me, I call them to come and help me that night. And they did. And um, I remember when I came to myself, because it was like out of body experience when I, when I did the very high part, just a shot away, just a shot away, and it just seemed like everything in me from everything that was going on in the world, mm-hmm. all of the stuff that was going on, it just came through me. And I was screaming, you know, just with all of everything that was within me. And all I could hear and see was Mick and Keith and, and Jimmy and everybody in the booth just, oh, they were screaming back in the back, you know. So apparently I did a pretty good job. I said, well, I'm going to give you one more for safety. And I'm out. <laughs> Mary, can you do it one more time? Can you keep the scream in? I said, I'm going to give you whatever I have. I said, you do know that I'm carrying a baby right now. It says, oh, yes, darling. You you, you do, just do the best. I said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll get it done. So I gave them one more for safety. And as I gave them that, I, they were in the, back in the booth. I didn't even listen to the listen back. I was waving goodbye and I was gone. I think I did two passes of that. And the next thing I knew, it was the biggest hit of life. Wow. You know, it was giving shelter everywhere. And right today, it's a huge record still, right today, you know? I think what you did on that song is one of the most powerful moments of recording in all of music history. Mm. Like, I'm not joking when I say that. Like, mm. I really mean that very seriously. You can hear everything that you've just said. You can hear the entire civil rights movement. You can hear your yeah. ancestors. You can hear yeah. all of humanity. Yeah. You can hear birth and death. You can yes. hear everything in it. Yes. It's harrowing. And it's what you've given so much of yourself. And that same year, you put out your first solo album, Give Me Shelter. You use that, the, mm-hmm. title, the title track. Right, right. And your version, your version is absolutely 
unbelievable. Yeah. And it's so different. So tell me what you wanted for yourself as a solo artist at that moment in time after, you know, af- after having this massive hit with the Rolling Stones and putting out your own solo record. You know, it's very weird to say, but at that time I was so young. I was so young. I just wanted to sing. And I had met this lovely, wonderful, precious human being named Lou Adler, who believed in me. I wasn't thinking too much of anything back then, other than I really wanted to sing, and I wanted it to be good, and I wanted to make him proud. Yeah, I wanted Mm -hmm. to make my husband and my family proud, but I really, when someone is believing in you and putting money and putting everything they could put into you into you, you want to make them proud, you know? Oh, I have no doubt that you made him proud. Yeah. Do you think he wanted you to be the biggest star in the world, though? I think that he yeah. wanted, I, like, I think. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Things happen that you have no control over. At that time, it was Aretha, 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 right? Right. Aretha was grateful. It's a great friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I uh, knew her since I was like eight, nine years old. But a lot of times you couldn't get airplay on the radio if you, you were an artist like myself, even though you were in the same field that she was in. It was Aretha and Diana Ross, the Supremes, the Motown era. So you couldn't really get traction. You can get so much, tra- so much traction and then it would drop off, you know. But he always wanted the best for me, always wanted the best for me. I didn't necessarily want to be a huge star. I just wanted to sing, especially at 21. I mean, please, really. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know of being the only star that I knew was Bobby Darren and Ray Charles. Wow. That perspective that you have is incredible. And and it makes, I, I feel mad because I love your early solo work so yes, much. And yes. I feel like I play, like I play your first album at parties. Like I love, I love it. And it's like, it's incredible. And I think that for me, like when you say at that moment, it was Aretha, 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 or Diana Ross, like there's an element for me, to me anyway, of, of racism and sexism there where it's like, there's only allowed to be one person, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the way it was. That's, but see, that's, that's the way that it was. I was an African-American yeah. artist, you know, in a field of music where to them, their star could only be one was Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. There'd be one on the other side of R&B and pop, Diana Ross, you know, could only be one. And that's just the way it was. That's the way it was set up. So that's what happened. But I was always busy and I was always working. Always. Sounds like maybe you got the best of all the things, you know, I think I did. I think I did. Yeah. Because I was constantly going to the bank and I love that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Well, you deserve to get paid. But I will say that the other evidence of you sort of coming out on top of this is that we listened to Beautiful Scars in 2021 and it's like, there's no wear and tear on your voice. Like you haven't lost. Thank God. Like it's almost rude. Like how can you still do that? How can you sing like that? It's I'm just so thrilled for you that you're able to do that. The only thing I can say is that this is my gift from God. And when God gives you a gift, that's what it is. That's his gift. Mm-hmm. We all have, have gifts. And when he, but when he gives you a gift, when he anoints you and appoints you with this beautiful gift, if you take care of it and you nurture it 
God honors that. I, I think that he honors that. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I often said, oh, my God, God, I just thank you so much that you left my gift intact. And um, I knew that when my gift was intact and I was left intact, that he had something else that he wanted me to do. He wasn't finished. My destiny was not finished. Had I been finished, had he been finished with me, I would have perished in that accident. You know, because if anyone but looked at the car, they would say, no, nobody made it out of this. You know, I said, oh, my goodness. There's someone or there's many people I have to touch with this gift before I leave this earth. I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask you, what do you pray for before you go out and sing for people? That they will be touched, that they will be delivered from whatever they're going through that they would come away with a smile on their face and know that they can make it in any situation that you go through. You can make it through anything, but you have to know who you are. Mary Clayton, I'm so honored to get to talk to you today. Thank you. What a gift you've given the world with the, the music that you make and the way that you speak of it. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Bless you guys. My thanks to singer Mary Clayton. I'm Talia Schlanger. I'll be here from time to time as guest host on Here's the Thing. This episode was produced by Kathleen Russo, Zach McNeese, Maureen Hoban, and Carrie Donahue. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Alec Baldwin will be back in 2022 with new episodes of Here's the Thing. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.